Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Thursday, February the 23rd, 2012, and this is episode 846 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, and it's a cool episode. We have a return guest, one of our all-time favorite guests, very well known to many people in the survival, modern survival niche. Fernando Fairfell Aguirre will be on with us in just a moment. Fernando actually being the only person I've ever brought on the show who has actually lived through, right through dead square in the middle of a complete total economic collapse, one that makes what happened from 2008 to 2012 look fairly mild in the United States. He's going to come on. But we talked about that last time and a lot of his experiences from Argentina last time, and we probably will again. But what we're really going to talk about is international relocation. Uh, Fernando has just recently moved from Argentina to Northern Ireland. We're going to talk about what that experience was like, why he made that choice, what it's been like since he's made that choice. Would he do it again if he had it all to do over again? Was Northern Ireland his first choice? Where would he go if he could go anywhere? You name it, we're going to ask it. I also had some of you guys on Facebook on uh, Tuesday when actually I'm doing this interview throw up a bunch of questions and a couple on Twitter. I'll try to rapid fire some stuff from the audience to Fernando as well. Uh, and we'll try to roll through that kind of like a rapid fire Jeopardy round or something like that. So it should be cool. Before we do though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, bulkammo.com. Hey, um, I always tell you this, but I'm going to tell you again because I don't know a better way to explain it. You have a gun, you don't have ammo, you have an expensive club or a high-end barter item. That's it. It's no longer useful as a gun without ammo. You got to have ammo. You have a gun, you have some ammo, but you don't have training with it. You haven't used it a lot. You haven't become efficient with it. You're just as likely to blow your foot off as to stop a crime or stop criminal intent with it or to save yourself with it. So to have guns and have them be worthwhile, you have to have ammo. One, so you can feed the beast in a time of need. And two, so you can run that gun, train with it, and become proficient with it. So that means you need lots of ammo. Where are you going to get it? Where else but BulkAmmo.com. For your common calibers, they have everything in stock. They ship lightning fast. Great service, great pricing. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, MERS Radio. That's actually M-U-R-S-the-word-radio.com, MERS Radio. MERS Radio allows you to take secondary communications and security and combine them into a single system on your property. Range of the radio is one to two miles. It's not like ham. You're not going to be communicating off, bouncing stuff off satellites. But for your property, or for a compound or something like that, great. And then we take motion detectors and set them out there, and they'll come back through our handhelds or our base station and let us know something like, hey, somebody that doesn't belong there is sneaking around on the back patio, or, hey, the dog's just trying to get out of the gate, or, hey, the cows are uh, escaping, or whatever it may be, from the nefarious to the annoying, you can know by having these motion detectors in place. Check them out today, MERS-radio.com. Remember, best way to deal with MERS Radio, Bulk Ammo, and the rest of our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That is not because I have any kind of an affiliate relationship. I do not. My sponsors pay for their space, and that is it. It's just that way you know you're dealing with an actual sponsor than, rather than a cheap imitator. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. As you're listening to this, I'm in an aeroplane flying through the air on a jet plane 
on my way to land in Boston's Logan Airport, jump in a rental car, and uh, head up to Nashville, New Hampshire. I will be hanging out at the hotel bar sometime this evening. If you're going to come, come by and see me hang out. We'd love to see you, love to meet with you guys there. Um, but I'll tell you why I'm bringing that up at all. I'm going to be uh, putting stuff out on Facebook and Twitter while I'm gone, so uh, make sure that you are connected with me on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we will be videoing my presentation. It will probably be too long to put the whole thing on YouTube. Uh, maybe we'll break it up into pieces, parts, or something like that. I don't know, but one way or another, some of that will end up on YouTube, so you might want to make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, too. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content only to, available to members, like $150 worth of free ebooks given to you the day you join. You can join for five bucks a month. You can join for fifty bucks a year. Fifty bucks a year is about eighteen point three cents an episode to support the show that you listen to every day. Consider doing that. We are a member-supported program, uh, and we try to give you back a great ROI. I promise you, if you use the benefits in the MSB, it's worth more than fifty bucks a year. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, as always. Email me before you join. Give me details of your service. I will send you a discount code. Don't photocopy IDs or stuff like that, folks. That's actually against the law military guys do not send me your dd214 do not send me your military id card by photocopy just tell me who you are where you are and what you did or what you're doing and that will be enough all right with that we've got the housekeeping wrapped up and i'm very excited to bring back uh, one of our all-time favorite guests and the guy that knows what he's talking about because he's been through it done it been there done that bought the t-shirt and had it devalued by inflation fernando fairfowl aguirre welcome back to the survival podcast man this time all the way from northern ireland hi jack Thanks for having me again, and it's great to be here. So, hey, I mean, the big news with you is, uh, and I saw like 20 different like preppers blogs posting this, Fernando made it out, like you've escaped <laughs> uh, the third world decline of Argentina, and you went to a place that I think a lot of people, when they first heard you either were going there or went there, went, really? So you, you, you went to Northern Ireland. What's, what's that been like? Of all places, no. <laughs> I mean, did they have a war there? And I mean, you know, with their own countrymen. And I mean, and but yet you're there now, and you say it's a pretty nice place. Yeah, it, it's a, it's really an awesome place. It's uh, fantastic, actually. Well, we we ended up here because USA, which would have been my first option, was impossible for us because of the immigration laws they have right now. So it's very very difficult to get there legally i know that there's a bunch of people that don't worry about th that sort of stuff yeah but there's like 20 of them down here at lowe's right now waiting for somebody <laughs> to pick them up in a truck and take them to a day labor place but but if you make your own money and don't need a job you can't come i guess yeah they, they don't like that sort of thing i think <laughs> god you have to ask yourself a question so um so you ended up with northern northern ireland what were some of the things you had to do and like Like, how have you actually moved there? Because I, I don't really even understand myself. So are you now, like, a permanent resident, or for all intents and purposes, do you have, like, president residence aliens? I mean, yeah, I, how, how did you do this? First of all, I have the European citizenship because my father, he was born in Spain. So my my grandfather, who left Spain because of the Civil War, he understood the value of having citizenship other than in the country you're in. So he really got busy and getting ourselves our citizenships even if my parents weren't that crazy about it he made sure we had those so thanks to that i can reside as a citizen in any european country so right now here in northern oh, ireland i'm 100 uh, a citizen just like any other guy 
And is that because uh, Ireland, or Northern Ireland specifically, is part of the Eurozone? It's part of the UK, the United Kingdom, and okay. it's part of, yes, even though they keep their own currency, it is part, so according to the laws here, if you have the European citizenship, you can reside just as well as any other resident. Yeah, it's amazing to me that the UK pushed so hard for the Euro and the Eurozone, and then they said basically once they got it through, yeah, we're going to take part in the good part, but we're going to keep our own money, and they were like the only ones that were able to like be in and out at the same time. Right, and you can't blame them for doing what oh, it's yeah. best for them. That's like um, that's like if somebody lets you, uh, you know, when you play golf, teeing off closer to the t- the, the pin than they do. If they're going to let you do it, well, you take the advantage. Yeah. Um, so now that you've moved there, what are some of the things maybe that are, are different for from you? Now I know that like just like going to the store or something in Argentina, you were watching all three mirrors watching in front of you paying attention to where you parked and I'm sure that like that's still in you but maybe is it less uh, necessary now with living in Northern Ireland it's for sure very very different in that regard if the first time I asked I didn't know even how to ask people I asked one of the guys I met here do you get like robberies where you have like three or four criminals armed very well prepared logistically speaking he was already looking at me as if I was completely nuts and insane. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the kind of thing that happened on a daily basis in Argentina. So, you know, it's. But, no, of course, none of that happens here. It's very rare. A few times there's problems, maybe because of something that was keeps going because of the times of the troubles when there was fighting between the ones that wanted to be part of the UK and the ones that wanted to be independent. It's really nothing in comparison to the violence and crime we saw in Argentina. It's completely different. In Argentina, I had to watch over my back as soon as I left the door. I mean, it's that's the way you live over there. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but that's the type of crime we had. Now, here you have, I mean, man, I have a glass door right now. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't have it's not just that I don't have burglar bars on every window I have actually a glass door it's wow. made of glass and you can break it with a stone so you, <laughs> you're not talking about you, like a storm door you're talking about your actual door your main door yeah the wow. main door and you know what I would be worried if I was the only fool with that but there's not a single door that is that different <laughs> from this one they're all the freaking same so yeah you get it. That's very safe. Very, very yeah. safe to live. Now, here's the question I have for you. Even with it being safe, I know that you have always been a huge proponent of gun ownership, and you had certain status in Argentina due to working with and training law enforcement where you had greater access and availability of firearms possession than the average Argentinian uh, from a, you know legally. Um, what's that like in the UK? My understanding is it's pretty tough to, so did you have to sell a bunch of your guns or something when you moved there or put them in storage or something? Yeah, I, I left a, a nice cache of, of weapons back home in case I ever had to go back there. <laughs> it, it, the thing is, in Argentina, I was a firearms collector, which is kind of difficult to get these days. So I, I did have a, a bit of a nicer stuff than the average guy over there. And, of course, I, I knew and trained with some of the local law enforcement people, which were great friends as well. Here in, in Northern Ireland, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons we ended up here is that it's the only place in the United Kingdom where you can legally 
own weapons and do so for self-defense. Besides that, it's the only place in the United Kingdom where you can still do pistol shooting, so it's legal for you to own a pistol for, for practical pistol shooting and that type of, of thing, which is something that I did back home. Yeah, because, I mean, even if everything's safe, it ne nothing's ever 100% safe. And then Never. Part, you know, part of my feel with gun ownership is I own guns, yes. I mean, last night we had a sound on the backside of the house, and, you know, I, I got the 45 and the dog, and we went to check it out, and it ended up being nothing. But, you know, I mean, it's just, so there's a safety aspect. But the other aspect is, you know, two days earlier I was sitting in my backyard shooting because I enjoy it. So there's a, there's a recreational aspect and a sporting aspect of firearms as well. And you're saying you can do that in Northern Ireland. I did not know that. I thought they had the same rules as, like, let's say, you know, England. Yeah, it's slightly different. Here you can actually own handguns for, for sporting, and it's not that difficult to get a shotgun either. So you can, in, in fact, get, get a, a weapon and a couple of other things, some firearms for, for defense and for, for sporting. Awesome. Uh, something that I tell people is don't just think that it's not legal or it's impossible. Actually research some of the laws and know what it is that you can legally own or not. Yeah, I know because, I mean, I always looked at things like uh, I spent a lot of time when I was in the military in Costa Rica. And, and I've always thought that would be kind of a nice place to have a residency and maybe not even live there full time but have a residency there. And I always thought that, you know, firearms in Costa Rica, forget about it. It turns out. Private citizens can own three, and if you establish a Costa Rican corporation, your corporation can own as many as you want. And exactly. that just didn't seem like a part of the world where that would be possible, but I think there's maybe a lot more places. And when we look at them, I think part of it is we judge it against the United States as far as firearm freedom, and I don't think that exists anywhere. I think we're no, it doesn't. deep with that. It doesn't, but since it's still legal to own certain firearms, uh, many people think uh, that in Europe, people just send me emails, you know, I'm in Germany and I cannot own firearms. No, it doesn't work that way. You can <laughs> own firearms in Germany. Actually, do some research and you'll find out what it is that you can actually own over there. And, of course, if you live in Switzerland, when you turn 18, they put you in the army and send you home with your gun. Exactly. That might have been a. Did you, did you look at Switzerland at all? Other yeah, than so I did. Expensive? I did look at Switzerland, but it, you know, it's very expensive to live there. Uh, it was beyond. Honestly, it was just beyond my means in, in financial terms. And also, there's the problem of language. I wanted to end up in a Spanish mm -hmm. or English-speaking country because that would. Uh, I wouldn't move to a country where I don't speak the local language fluently. So yeah, that uh, wasn't an option point. for me. I know Geneva is like the most expensive city in the world as well, but if you want to go where people are prepared, I mean, those yeah. guys have bunkers. Those guys have a rifle in every man's home. They, I mean, if from from a symbol, there's a reason they can be neutral because no one wants to jack. It's not worth it, you know. Nobody <laughs> and, wants to jack with them. Economically as well, they're very solid. I mean, the the firearms and uh, and preparedness in, in a military style is also reflected in the way they handle their finances. It's always been very solid in, in that way as well. On the economic thing, is that also part of why you went with a, a UK nation, basically, because they do have their own sovereign currency so that, you know, I mean, we've got all this crap going on with the euro right now with the Greeks. They reached a bailout this morning that may or may not actually go through. Italy is on the verge of being Greece. Spain Portugal well. and Spain are on the verge of being Greece. Yeah. And you guys are up there with your, your Irish money, uh, <laughs> and it's not euro money. Yeah, it's uh, the, the the British pound, which is different from the euro, and it is one one other thing that I liked about it. It's uh, if the euro goes down, at, the pound is a different currency. So, you know, just those little things you notice, and 
you put in the balance the, the positive and and the not so good stuff and make a decision based on that. In your experience in looking for a place to go, I imagine you looked at like anywhere you could have went, and you looked yes. at like you said anywhere that was an English speaking or uh, Spanish speaking country. That's a lot of places. Now, there's a lot of people in America that might want to set up something similar to what you have with a dual residency capability or something like that, and maybe Europe is not as easy for them to do it in. Did you find any other places that maybe, for someone unlike yourself who didn't already have that dual citizenship, where if you were an American, you wanted a second place that would make sense to you? Yeah, I would, first of all, I, and this is something that's getting increasingly popular as the crisis goes on in worldwide people in USA thinking that the grass is going to be greener on the other side of the hill <laughs> uh, I would being an American I wouldn't move permanently at least not permanently to a third world country by any means because it's so different and it's so much tougher than what the average American is used to uh, I mean I'm <laughs> just as I'm I was getting here I, I was getting emails from people that were planning on moving to Argentina ah uh. I mean, what Dude, there's a reason about, I man? left. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why I left a place where I was born in and I had everything going on for me. I had a ton of guns. I had contacts with the local police. I could, I mean, your situation is just impossible to be better than the one I was in already. And I still left. What does that tell you? Okay. It's a, it's a very complicated place to live in Argentina and all the other South American third world countries, honestly, even though it's not um, a politically correct term these days anymore, third world country, it is what it is. It's sure. very dangerous. The corruption is out of proportion, and it's nothing like most Americans are used to. So I would really not recommend anyone moving to a third world country in, in South America or Asia or anywhere else. Mm. See, because my experience has been rather different. Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm going back 25 years, uh, spending two years in Panama, uh, yeah. and uh, spending an awful lot of time during those two years getting in a car and driving up to Costa Rica. And I found Costa Rica to be safe, well-run, beautiful. Um, I, I, ha I never felt unsafe in Costa Rica. I never felt unsafe in northern Panama. Where I felt unsafe was Panama City. Uh, in yeah. Cologne, uh, in places like that, where just being blonde was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you, you you didn't go well there then. <laughs> no, no. Uh, there's there's uh, there's a one uh, neighborhood that really got bombed hard during uh, Just Cause, and if you had light skin and light hair, you just did not go there because um, that meant you were an American. And there were people there who had lives before and don't have lives now because of and you know. That was that was a very bad place to go, but but Costa Rica was always always beautiful. Uh, well, Costa Rica is somehow protected by U.S. and there's a significant amount of people there. So, you know, honestly, I still wouldn't go there, especially with my family, especially with kids. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be sending them to school. You have to move around quite a bit. Um, I've got emails from people living in Costa Rica. Many of them are happy. Yeah, a couple of them were very, very unhappy with it. They, they were telling me that crime was getting very bad lately. Mm. There was a, a, a huge increase in the amount of kidnappings. And, you know, man, I don't want to live in a place where people get kidnapped because sure. of a few bucks anymore. 
Been there, done that. Arizona or Southern California, then, because you'll end up on the other side of the Mexican border. I mean, that's <laughs> that happens here too. I think another reason a lot of people want to leave, though, Fernando, at least from a residency standpoint, and maybe even not living permanently in these other countries, a lot of people in America uh, are becoming fed up with the level of taxation that we yes. experience. Yeah, and I that's think there's more people looking for tax haven than shit hit the fan haven. Now, you do have to resign to your American citizenship because just leaving is not going to be enough, guys. Remember that. Yeah, they'll get you no matter what. Um, you have to resign to your American citizenship because even if you move, they, they still tax you uh, in spite of residing in some other country. It depends on how you do it. There are ways to structure it without actually resigning citizenship where once you're past six months of residency, you are not taxed on money unless you repatriate it. Unfortunately, they're even going after that now. And they're saying they're doing it to get the big companies that do it with huge amounts yeah. of wealth. And the big companies, companies somehow don't. always end up avoiding that, and the little guy is the one that gets, sure. <laughs> gets the hammer. It's money with a PayPal account is who they're really after there. So, hey, um, What are some other things that you've noticed since you've moved? Has there been some culture shock, or has it just been all awesomeness? Or, you know, what, what are the folks like in your neighborhood? Well, it's been great, honestly. The, I, I cannot speak uh, of any other thing other than positive stuff, because that's honestly been our experience, especially li leaving a place. It was getting very bad in Argentina, especially because we left when uh, the current uh, president started her second administration. Before her was her husband, so it's like a decade of the same guys running the country. When we were leaving, there was a problem finding dollars. They're not, they weren't allowing you to change to dollars anymore. Um, so <laughs> I had a, a friend of ours actually try to buy $100 from my son <laughs> behind my back because wow. she was needing that money for a trip herself. <laughs> because they don't, because people don't still don't want to take the Argentinian currency. They want U.S. dollars. People, yeah, especially for for savings and such. I mean, people may be surprised about this, but in spite of everything that's going on, the U.S. dollar is still much stronger than, than some of the money in in these countries, where where it's very volatile. It changes all the time, and especially when you have the kind of inflation you have in places like Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in the army in Honduras. If these little kids would beg for food and whatever, and if you took a, you know, a dollar bill and wrapped it around a rock and pitched it down the road, <laughs> that was an entertainment. I mean, because the way those kids would fight for a dollar, yeah. um, and I think lempira was like eight point three to one exchange rate or something like that. So you could take a ten lempira, which technically was worth more. And they'd go after it, but they were nowhere near as eager in, in that. And I, I think there's a lot of people right now that are worried about the dollar, and I am too, but I also don't think they realize that it's better than a lot of uh, alternatives right now. Yes, th th that's, that's indeed what it is. Um, and, and again, sometimes, again, on what sometimes people uh, think or are led to believe by usually people that have other interests as well, It's not nearly as cheap to live in places like Argentina as it used to be right now, unofficially speaking, because the, there's a, a difference between the, the official story and the one you end up seeing when you actually are there and buy in the stores. Right now, the, the, basic, um, the, the basic budget needed for a family of four is about $1,500 per month just to get the enough basics as to live. So it's not that cheap anymore, and not nearly as cheap as some people think. And even when you're looking at leveraging currency, that only works if the country lets you bring the leveraged currency into the nation. 
Yeah, and if they don't tax it heavily and yeah. take a good chunk of it as well. Yeah, just on the way in alone, like pay, like ransom to get you access to your own money. Happens all the time. Happens in Argentina. You cannot do me a favor and try sending some money through a wire transfer to Argentina. It's not going to be getting through. I just tried it a couple days oh, wow. ago, and it's not going to be happening. So it's like they're fighting the solution to their own problems. Yeah, they're doing what. For example, right now they've been right now they've been restricting the importations to Argentina. The, the entire 2011, and if, if you want to buy, for example, um, a, a TV, right, in Argentina, you can only buy the ones that are made in Argentina, maybe, for example, a, a Samsung TV made in Argentina, 32-inch TV, Samsung, supposedly made in Argentina, it was, it's going to be costing you $800, Wow. a basic LCD TV, and the trick is that it's not really made in Argentina, only the box... <laughs> and the sticker that says made in Argentina are actually made there. So so they import it for, for a, a few pennies, yeah. uh, as you can expect coming from China. They put a box that says made in Argentina and a label, maybe just changing the cable so as to make it <laughs> yeah. fit the local one. And magically, the, the price uh, triples or it's four times as much. And wow. the one making the good money is 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 the business a owner of such company that has contacts with the local politicians. So sure. you're thinking, okay, I'm buying Argentina. It's like, you know, I'm buying made in USA. I'm promoting the national industry. No, you're not. You're buying something that's been boxed in the country and you've been fooled into believing that it's made there. Yeah, because that TV you're talking about, 32-inch TV, flat screen, right now there's a Walmart about two two miles away from my office and I know I just walked by one $229. Exactly, exactly. And they probably came from the same place. Like you said, yours <laughs> went into an Argentinian box. <laughs> but it's, it's the same old story, and what ends up happening is that they limit your choices. You're forced to buy made in Argentina, very expensive, and usually when it's really made in Argentina, it's going to be of very poor quality because of that, um, the control they have over the competition being imported. All right. Hey, I want to start running some questions we have here off of Facebook for you. Um, and it's kind of a wide variety of stuff, some of it based on your move, some based on, it on the last time you were on. Uh, but Michael asks, how much silver slash gold does Fernando recommend owning at a minimum? Well, man, it will depend on your personal situation. Usually uh, 10% of your savings, 10 or 20% of your savings in precious metals is what I recommend people. I, I know that gold is kind of expensive right now. Uh, silver may be a better bet if you're in a tight budget. Um, but usually 10, 20% of your savings in precious metals. I know you're going to say guns here, but uh, Janine Brown says, what kind of personal protection items does Fernando recommend specifically that women carry? Glock. 19 or 17. <laughs> okay. you, you can choose anything you like, as long as it's a Glock 19 or a Glock 17. Okay. <laughs> okay. Any other stuff, though, that you would recommend specifically for a woman to carry? Uh, carry something, because usually we end up talking about specifics, and you know, someone doesn't even own a gun, carry at least some form of tool for self-defense. A, a pocket, a folding knife, uh, a flashlight with a strike bezel, Anything you have is going to be better than nothing if nothing is what you're, you're using right now. I'd add to that one other option, pepper spray. Pepper uh, spray as well, exactly. If, if you doubt its effectiveness, 
Go get somebody to shoot in your face. You'll change your tune Fox, real quick. Fox Labs, it's good stuff. Red Saber is good stuff as well. I've been real fond of uh, stuff called Inferno made by Cold Steel. Inferno, yeah, that's supposedly, supposed to be very, very efficient. What makes that so efficient is they put a little bit of black pepper in it. So if you've ever gotten some black pepper in your nose, you know it kind of makes you suck in like you're going to sneeze. So then when you get that response, you're, you end up inhaling... Uh, the blast of the, the full capsaicin that you, you've uh, just taken. So it, it causes you to inhale deeply on impact, and it also comes out like a gel but immediately liquefies, so it doesn't. you don't get a lot of overspray with it. That's why I've liked it. Uh, moving on to the next one, Carl says, I appreciate that he's commented on this in the past, but I would personally love to have his book on my Kindle. Surely there are <laughs> others who would also. I would be curious to see if he has changed his mind on this subject. Yeah, it's uh, something I'm still working on because yeah, I don't find the, the exact price to make it uh, uh, fair. It's almost as exp doing it on, on the Create Space um, publishing service. It's almost as expensive as the printed stuff. So while I know that a lot of people want it, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be saying, "Hey, you're almost charging as much as the as the printed book." So still something to be looking at. Okay. What geographic regions, countries, we kind of covered this already, does he think are the best choice to relocate to? I've been curious about this for a while now, especially as to places that allow you to defend yourself. So obviously Northern Ireland's high on the list. Well, if you're already in USA and you're thinking about leaving, seriously look within your own country and look maybe to another state that fits what you want because it's going to be so much easier to, than moving anywhere else, especially because USA is still, in my opinion, the best place to be in. So first of all, if you're an American, consider some other states if you're thinking of leaving. Second, if you're going to be leaving, try leaving to a first world country because third world countries are very difficult to adapt to, very difficult to live in, especially if you're not the, the tree-hugging, I love the karma stuff in India type of guy. It's going to be a huge so, um, cultural clash for you. So first world countries, or if you're in U.S., stay in U.S. Here's an interesting qu question from Kim. Kim says she hasn't read your book yet, but she's uh, heard a lot about it. She'd like to hear your perspective or guess on how Americans might behave differently during an economic collapse than Argentinians did. No two things are ever the same, of course, but it's just a perspective from someone who's seen both cultures, perhaps. I think she's right. Kind of let me preface her question, Fernando, with if I look at Greece's meltdown, I can draw some very similar uh, things to Argentina and some very different things. And I can also see some very different things that went on during the Soviet collapse than Argentina. So having, I know you've been here a lot. If we ever have a complete meltdown in America, what do you think might be different about what you experienced? And what do you think will be the same? Well, I, I've been into what's happening in Greece a lot lately, and it's surprising to see. I mean, it's it's hard actually to find differences from what happened in Argentina to what's happening in Greece. The the way the education is suffering, the way people are leaving the country, the way uh, the degradation of the standards of leave, of living are decreasing, the lack of medications being found, the way people are reacting, it's so very similar. Sometimes I think that we like to think that we're more different than we actually are. So there's going to be a few differences, no doubt. Uh, maybe because of the different social uh, clashes, if there's already some eth ethnic tension between different groups in some particular state that you live in, that may be a factor to keep in mind. But I have no doubt that there's going to be so much more similarities than differences. 
I would add that some of the things that may make things better and worse at the same time would be the case. Um, there is no place in the world with as much firearms freedom as America. Which exactly. Means That's going to be huge. More people are able to defend themselves, but more people can be armed thugs. Uh, yeah. And I think that you – I almost look at it like a modern version of the Wild West may actually be what we deal with here. Look at Detroit, the amount uh, of self-defense shootings lately. I think it, ra it raised – 70% from last year, the Correct. amount of lawful self-defense shootings that took place. So you're going to be seeing more of that. What I would recommend uh, to, to Kim, if, was it Kim, uh, is to be one of those that actually carry a firearm and actually know how to use it. I'd also say, kind of with your comments about um, if you're looking for greener pastures, consider a different state, kind of plays into this as well. There are definitely places in this country that during a meltdown are going to be worse off and definitely places that are going to be better off. And, I, I, you know, if somebody lives here, I don't want you to, like, freak out and move tomorrow. But if we have the type of breakdown Argentina did or Greece is having right now or the Soviet Union did before that, I would not want to be living in a place like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Atlanta, New York City, Chicago. I mean, the, the powder keg of tension in those places and the number of people that are already dependent on government in those places, when they get cut off, I don't know if you saw the story, Fernando, but they had it screwed something up in Atlanta where these people didn't get their food stamp card for one day. <laughs> so they were going to get, it's like, you can't have it today, we'll give it to you tomorrow. They broke they, everything. They almost knocked the windows in on the building, and there wasn't even anybody there. Yeah, was, you, you want to you want, you want to avoid the strong welfare states, the, the strong welfare cities, because you know, that of course, it's going to be more problematic, and it's going to be going down very fast uh, when when it gets worse. And if you guys want the wild frontier, there's always Alaska and there's northern Maine. I mean, if you want to get out of it all, and you don't have to leave America to do that. Those two places. Yeah, and even even that, I, I would recommend people looking at places like Texas, some of them of, of the nicer states you have. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even go to Alaska, you know, because it's like too far away. Maybe it's gonna be uh, hard to adapt to the different. Uh, maybe it's more of a tight society. It's harder to get into it. Uh, a more packed type of 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 mentality of people that are that um, takes decades for for them to for you to earn their trust. Even with it, Texas uh, places. There's lots of so many good places in U.S. That yeah. of course I would avoid Los Angeles. I would avoid New York. Uh, I'd avoid California just just from a you know it, it, avoiding the socialism standpoint. Um, I will tell you that you're you're dead on about certain places taking a long time to earn trust. And one place that's really kind of weird with that is Appalachia. I'm talking West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. I know people that are like my family moved here in 1980. And we're still outsiders. <laughs> and they're great people, but yet you're never. And then, like, when we lived in yeah. Pennsylvania and we moved into this area in, in Northampton, my wife and always said this about people there, that people were nice, but nobody was nice first. Like, like you, had yeah. to, you had to go out and, and, like, really, like, be really, really nice before they were nice back to you. Otherwise, you just didn't exist. You know? Like well, you, you to, have to do that. You have to make an effort sometimes. When we came here... For sure. I mean, the, the lady across the street 
wave your hand and all, but uh, <laughs> you, you have to do an effort. Uh, I, I signed up for jiu-jitsu, started going to the classes, started talking with the guys, uh, with the shooting clubs as well. You have to make an effort yourself to be nice and not be, you know, the crazy weirdo that just moved into the neighborhood with a bunch of, of guns and is not talking to anyone. You know? Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, and but what I've always noticed with people from Ireland, When you talk to them, they always seem real receptive to getting to know you. When we moved to our place in Pennsylvania, first thing we did was went to our, our immediate next door neighbors, knocked on the door, and this old lady came to the door and goes, what do you guys want? I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up being okay, but yeah, it was a warm reception. Next question comes from somebody calling themselves Homestead Way. So I was wondering if you could ask, if we're going to try to step off in owning our own business right now, what businesses did you see continue to do well or do as well as possible during or after an economic collapse? Well, I would mostly recommend focusing on two things, very specific ones. Either something you're extremely passionate about, because if you do something with passion, you're going to be doing it well eventually. It's not going to be a job for you. It's going to be something you enjoy so much doing that chances are you'll be successful at it. So either exploiting what you're passionate about. Second, taking a look at what's already failing and try to offer something to compensate that. I, I wrote about this in my book. I mentioned it in back in 2002, I believe, and I saw it later happening in USA. Again, going back to the similarities that I see going on, there was this guy that started um, shuttling people, taken with a with a minivan from the suburbs to the downtown area. I don't re even remember what city was in in US, but this guy was doing rather well because he found that people didn't have that much money for gas. They were leaving the, the, their vehicles behind. But at the same time, they didn't like public transportation that much. So he was offering something in between that worked for them. And he was doing rather well because he found that new niche of opportunity within the crisis. Here's another one. This is a tough one. In your opinion, do you think law enforcement is going to be a threat to liberty in the U.S. if we have a collapse? What was your experience with law enforcement in Argentina during the collapse? Law enforcement in Argentina is as corrupt as it could possibly get in any, in any place. And at the same time, I have some of my best friends in the law enforcement community of Argentina and are people of, I mean, I'm talking about guys of, of, of courage that they deserve their own Hollywood movie, you know? So even if you have some people that are very corrupt, even if you have some people within law enforcement and the military that will take away your rights, If they're ordered to do so, you have others that will not and will stand against that. So you, you cannot put everyone in the same bag. I know that sometimes people get a bit too, um, too passionate about that. I, I've seen uh, the videos on YouTube of that old lady during Katrina with, with this, you know, uh, boot, <laughs> uh, thug, uh, just taking away her gun when she needed them the most. I think you should be ready for something like that happening to you because it would be foolish not to think that you, that could be you as well someday. But I wouldn't put everyone in the same bag. I wouldn't. Uh, you, you have to still respect those that put their life and on the line and are, and are willing to do violence for you so that uh, freedom-loving people leave, uh, live peacefully. I would concur because I would tell you right now I can go find priests that are pedophiles and I can go find prisoners in hardcore prison systems that will risk their life to save another person. 
So exactly. you can't judge the, the the entity itself. You have to judge the individual. I think the danger with law enforcement with corruption is because they have power, when they're corrupt, they cause more problems than just your neighbor being corrupt. I understand that, yes. They can and, leverage that authority. That's why we have to be very careful who we trust with it. More more in line with that, again, when I think maybe you want some tool for self-defense that is off the radar in case... I mean, if what hap- What if that's you? What if during the time you need it the most, they come knocking on your door and say, "Okay, give me your guns." Are you going to be starting fight, uh, a gunfight with SWAT or with the National Guard? No, I will give you whatever it is you want, but hopefully, I will have planned for that uh, for that possible scenario and have something else off the radar for actually defending myself when I need it the most. Yeah. Um- I, 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 what I say to that is High Point makes a $129 handgun, and <laughs> NEF makes a $79 shotgun. If somebody shows up and says, give us your guns, and you give them guns, they will go away. If you right. say, we have no guns, they will look for guns. So yeah. for $200, you have your go-away-and-leave-me-alone guns. You know, Just a thought. Yeah. Here, this guy, this, this uh, person here has a lot of questions. I'm just going to give like one or two of them because I'm not giving anybody this many questions. But basically, first question is, do you recommend keeping cash? And is there yeah. a specific amount of percentage of overall wealth you recommend in keeping in cash immediately accessible? Yeah, in spite of fiat currencies uh, being what they are, I still recommend having a month worth of cash, a month of expenses worth of cash, even if it's losing its value as quickly as we saw it in Argentina, which I'm talking about losing like 50% of its purchasing value within a day. In spite of that, a month worth of, of cash is going to be very valuable for you if banks close their doors, if ATMs run dry, and they're not taking plastic money anymore. If they're not accepting credit cards anymore and all they accept is cash, it's going to be a huge leverage for you. Okay. Um, ha, 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 so obviously that answers the second question anyway. Uh, the other question that, that she has here that I think is kind of cool is, um, has it actually gotten any better since 2001 in Argentina or is it worse? It's different. In, in many ways, it's supposed to be worse. We're seeing a, a, a type of government as we've never seen before in terms of it's in many ways similar to what you see in Venezuela with Chavez, uh, where they manipulate everything. The statistics mean, mean nothing. The unemployment, you don't even know how much it is anymore, because as we were talking about before, they say you need 600 pesos, which would be like $200 to live. And the real deal is that you need $1,500 to live. So there's differences of 300, 400, 500% between what is official and what's really needed. So I'd say that it's um, we got used to it. That would be the better word to describe it. Oh, yeah. We got used to living in a post-collapse economy. That's the best way to explain it. People, so society adapted. The underlying problem didn't get better. Exactly. The underlying oh, yeah. problem didn't get better. Argentina it used to be something that that was better than a third world country. We've fallen into third world country status, and we didn't get out of that, at least not yet, and it's going to be very hard to recover from that. Okay. Um, this person, just one thing that they wanted to say, shameless hometown plug. I know Fernando now lives in Northern Ireland. 
Tell him if he ever crosses the border south into Ireland, head to Cork. It's the best part. So that was all from Delith. De I can't really pronounce that name right, so I'm not going to say anything and, and just mispronounce the name. Anyway, uh, uh, Miguel says, I would like to know what choices are were available for travel immediately after the meltdown. How long before travel was safe and what passage out of the country would have cost? Uh, how much economic startup capital would be needed? Uh, and what was his tipping point where he decided to get the hell out? Well, my tipping point to get the hell out was uh, I already wanted to leave Argentina since everything started. In, in, in 2002, I wanted to leave. I didn't have the means to do so. Uh, I, I was still trying, honestly, I was still trying to go to USA, looking at every possible visa there was and seeing how I, I could make it work. I tried that for years and eventually... Uh, when when Cristina won her second election and I saw that we were looking at ten at at least four more years of of the same old stuff that was ruining the country with the amount of welfare with the amount of of crime that was allowed to go on on the streets my my friends and the police were telling me that whenever they arrested someone the the district attorney would come and tell them to please let that guy loose because there was no place in jails anymore for that um uh, a friend of ours in the shooting club, he, he got murdered in his house doing a home robbery, which was another awful incident. That, you know what scared me the most? When we decided to leave and we had all our ducks in a row, uh, our, our constant nightmare, mine and my wife's, was something happening to us just before we got out. It, mm. it was our, our greatest fear was, you know, the only thing that could ruin this would be getting shot or getting hurt or, or getting... Um, you know, involved in something like that before leaving. Even if, just imagine, if, if I end up shooting a couple of guys on the street a couple of weeks before leaving, that ruins me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's, it yeah. kills me. It kills yeah. me because it, it's, uh, you're not allowed to leave the country. You're involved in, in a whole lot of things that end up consuming your resources. Man, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, next question comes from Aaron. He says, I'm going to short this question. What goods or items should you store for barter and trade other than just gold and silver? He doesn't want to trade bullets and booze to his neighbors because they might get drunk and shoot at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's also the possibility of uh, if, if things get really bad, the state may interfere some and start stopping people from... Uh, um, if if you're starting to trade with guns and ammo and booze, there's a good possibility that the government will try to get in between that and. Well, you know we have the BATF here, which is the Bureau exactly. of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And I, for years, I struggled with why the hell is alcohol and tobacco lumped in with firearms? Well, firearms <laughs> include ammo, and there's your four currencies in a collapse, right? right. So, so what are your and, other and alternative you currencies? The institution that's going to be controlling all that, so may not be the best. Um, it's highly I, regulated. I don't have a great item to recommend people for bartering because based on what I saw, while bartering was the last resource many people use in Argentina, it was really not the best thing to do. Try thinking of, instead of bartering, start thinking of, of companies and starting businesses that create profit for you instead of changing A for B and trying to get a slack of that. See, folks, that's the answer you only get from someone that's actually been through an economic collapse instead of just read about one. Uh, great answer. Um, Ta Tango India says, what are the indicators that told him the shit had hit the fan and there was no way back? So when did you know that it was over? 
so to oh, speak. Man, well, the when in in December uh, 2001 and 18th, when we saw that the the president. It was leaving in a chopper, and <laughs> during that following, a week after the president escaped the presidential building, we had like five different presidents in a week. None wanted to be the president of the country anymore. That's when you know you reach rock bottom, and you're not going to be getting any better. Later on, well, there was a military law was installed, and we went through a very tough year in 2002 as well. But with a new um, president, with, with Nestor Kirchner, and when he started all these social pl- all these social plans, when when he started going straight forward to a, a welfare state, a, a pure uh, welfare state, that's that that was the indication that we weren't going to be getting any better anytime soon. You ended up seeing all this um, affecting your neighborhood, people that actually made a living out of organizing the different. Uh, yeah, welfare schemes and how corrupt all that was that's the type of thing that you see and you you know you're not going to be getting back to normal now this question kind of dovetails right in here dan says uh ask if the uh, ask if the collapse felt like it happened overnight or did everyone just take it one day and think hey crap now it happened and was it was it gradual were there warning signs like before that you could have like headed it off in many ways, it, it's a slow slide down. It's not, you have some of those moments when you say, oh, crap, this isn't happening, especially when you see all the rioting and when you see, the, you know, it, it's, it's very surreal to see the bankers close their doors and say, okay, you're not getting your money out of here anymore. You know, people are used to, uh, to believing that what's yours is yours and no one has a right to take it away from you. Um, one of the things that affected us the most in general was understanding that, for example, bankers and companies, uh, they're not out there to do you any favors. They're not out, out there to protect you in any way. They're first of all out there to make a profit. And if they can get away doing that in a way that ruins you, they're not going to be caring about it. So Yeah, they won't lose an inch of sleep over They're not going to be <laughs> by any means. Look at what happens now with the bailouts. They're yeah. giving them bonuses because of the profits they've been yelling uh, on the on the backs of the taxpayers. They're giving yeah. themselves billions of dollars worth of bonuses, and you're looking at the tax you're paying right now. It, it really makes you upset, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, like the GM bailout over here. They they took the money as a quote loan, um, right? Then they then they repaid the money with other money that they borrowed, uh, also from the taxpayers, and said so they paid it back. Uh, the stockholders lost all their money. The bondholders lost all their money. But now the company's back and doing great. Thank you. Well, that doesn't seem like. And then lots of people still got laid off. Certain brands went away. Factories closed. So the bailout really didn't bail anybody out except the people that are the upper elite ownership in the company. Yeah, Even the, the common stock owner got burned. The common bond owner got burned. Yeah. That, you I realize that you don't call that a bailout. I mean, it was just a, a stealing. Waste. Yeah, it was just stealing. Yeah, exactly. Let's call it as it is, okay? Yeah, it's theft. Uh, organized, legalized theft. Sebastian uh, says basically the world is pretty much 
all the whole world is fixing to do the same thing. And don't you how you know, don't you think maybe it might even be worse for you if we have a global economic collapse? Now you're sitting over in Ireland and all your friends and family and people you can depend on are back in Argentina. Well, and he, he also says he's from Argentina and what does he say? He says his country's going from bad to worse, but he was born here and he's going to stay there and fight for it. Well, I have to respect that. If he's willing to do that, by all means do it and I know I did my best when I was in Argentina. I know I did my best to to do my my share of pull my weight. Uh, I, I was a teacher in the University of Buenos Aires for working for free for several years. Um, I I know I did what I had to do in terms of feeling uh, okay with myself. Now it gets to a point where you have to be honest and say, okay, is this going to be changing or am I just going to be here? Wasting my money in a system that is extremely corrupt. Uh, do the majority of people want something to change? Now, when you see, when, for example, when, when Cristina won her election, she, she won with like 60% of popular support. And I, I'm okay with, with understanding that maybe 20% or, or even half of that was uh, votes gotten through the welfare system. People that would uh, support that. They liked what was going on. They liked having that welfare check. Now, when the entire country starts thinking that way, maybe the country isn't the problem anymore. It's you that you think so differently that maybe you should take that as a as a message, you know? Absolutely. It makes sense to me. Um, and I also think that you're probably just, in, to the heart of the question, you're probably in an overall better place to deal with an economic global collapse oh, now. Oh, by all means. By all means, I mean, this person right now in Argentina, he's living in Argentina right now. Right now, I'm in Northern Ireland. Right now, I know I can go for a walk and nothing's going to be happening to me. It's, it would be extremely rare for me to get shot going to the, the gas station down the block. Going to the gas station down the block in Argentina one night, honestly, you have a fair chance of getting yourself in problems. People getting shot happens in so much frequency that you rarely find someone in Argentina that, that hasn't had a family member hurt or killed in recent years. It's so hard to live there in terms of, of the crime being such a problem. Here's an interesting question. I'm interested to hear you answer it because a lot of people seem to tell me this is why they stay in debt, and that's good. Yeah, and I, I think Chip's asking you to disprove this for people. What happened when the with the debt and during the Argentinian collapse? Was it revalued? Was it forgiven? How did people in debt versus people not in debt fare differently? People, it, it depends on the type of debt you had as well. In in some cases, people actually did a good good money because they they got loans in dollars and maybe they bought machinery. And they later had to repay. If they agreed to pay that in in pesos, in the local currency, they ended up paying for for less than they would actually bought for. But at the same time, if the debt you had was in dollars, and with the national industry and the national economy being destroyed, you had no way of repaying that. So that's why many businesses went, went out of business, especially the ones that had gotten themselves into debt. Lots of people lost their homes because of the same reason. So in general terms, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. Um, you will find some stories of people that because of um, of repaying just a day before um, the, the Corralito was installed and the currency devaluated, they, they made a profit. But in general terms, most people lost 
because of being into debt. So yeah, I would recommend not being in debt if at all possible, of course. And and I would add to that the only way that you, that was able to happen for that select group in Argentina was the currency arbitrage move, dollar versus peso. And with the dollar being the world reserve standard, if we experience do dollar inflation, you're not going to get that opportunity because there's no. no arbitrage to be had. No, and you know what? It's so rare to benefit from de being in debt, planning on, on a collapse. It's it's as if you're telling me I'm going to be taking my entire savings and going to Vegas and betting it all. You know, and you <laughs> might hit rare. you might hit double zero green, and you get a thirty-seven one to pay out if you do. But right. if you hit anything else, you lose everything. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Um, Chip McVeigh says, "What happened with?" Oh, that was the same guy. Ryan says, "I'd like to know more about getting my foot in the door in Uruguay." You might just say not to. Basically, I don't yeah. know if this would be an area of his expertise, but I'd like yeah, to have the average not person to. not to. Okay. So let me give a short answer. Don't go there. Yeah, uh, I think that okay. a lot of people, though, so you understand this, Fernando, are not saying I want to move to Uruguay or I want to move to Ecuador or whatever. What they're saying is I want to be able to go there really fast for a while if I have to. Well, if, if, <laughs> if that's your, what you're planning, I first recommend taking a good look at the amount of money you have because another common thing is that people think that in these places they just – throw money at you because you say, okay, I'm an American and decided to honor you with my presence. <laughs> they're they're going to be loving that as long as you come with a good bank account or a good amount of money in the suitcase. You know? <laughs> kind of adding to that, Kelly says, do you see any benefit in keeping a bank account in another country or currency uh, than where you're currently at? So now you're in Northern Ireland. I'm sure you have a bank there. Yeah. But do you keep money in some other form in some other country or some other country's banking system? Yeah, I, I recommend having. I do recommend having an offshore bank account because it makes uh, some things easier, and especially if you have to leave in a hurry, having uh, the, the possibility of sending money one way and the other uh, fast and efficiently, it's something that's better. It's just like having the, not just like having, but in the same line of having a dual citizenship or having citizenship in some other country. If you complement that with an offshore bank account or an international bank account that allows you to do these sort of things, it really makes things easier for you. Uh, Jared says, will you ever have your book available as an audio book? Yeah, again, something that I have to work <laughs> with, work with. Yeah, I, I, I cannot promise anything in that way. Okay, last one here. Diana says, just tell him he rocks and so do you. I shared your podcast uh, with others in hopes of making them see that it's not always about bugging out. Great. So Diana says you rock, Fernando. Okay, thanks, Diana, for <laughs> for that. So cool, man. That uh, Let me see. I think I had one come in on Twitter. Um, it, okay, yeah, this is a pretty good one to finish up with. Nicholas on Twitter says, if you lived in the United States right now, what would you be doing specifically to prepare for the future, financially speaking, as an American? Uh, well, that uh, it's a very specific question because you're asking what I would do. What I would do would be put myself in a state that I like, probably some, uh, somewhere like Texas or something similar. There's other good options. I always mention Texas because it's the one that I've, I've researched quite a bit when I was trying to move there. But there's other states as well, and you can do your research and find what fits you better. Uh, I would plan on working on developing 
Um, my business as, as someone uh, with experience in survival and preparedness. So th that's what I would do. In, in my case, it would be beneficial for me because it would, would be exploiting something that I have to offer. Now, your case may be different. Maybe you have some other skills, some other traits which you can exploit yourself. So look into that and start planning on having your own financial independence. I think that one thing you're saying out of all that is that people really, if they're concerned, should look sort toward, and with, with me, it's preparedness in business. With you, it's preparedness as an author. Um, but some sort of an entrepreneurial component, I've heard you kind of allude to that a few times. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Because one, one of the things I saw, uh, again, one similarity between what happened in Argentina, what's happening in Greece right now, when you lose your job and there's nothing else for you to do, you start, you know, the, the gears in your head start grinding and you, you think, how can I make an income? And it's only then that people think of, okay, I'm going to be starting a business, uh, I'm going to be opening a home office, I'm going to be starting a, an online business offering uh, products or goods and services. It's only when they have no other option that they start thinking this way. What I recommend doing is starting before, starting before you're in such a tight spot. So even if you have a nine to five employment, start doing something on your own that in case you need an extra income, in case you lose your job, you already had something set up, at least to some degree. I completely concur with that, and I'll also say it's, it's, it's right in there with all of the survivalist fantasy that it's going to be easier to do after a collapse of the Ford. It just doesn't work. It's like people that say, well, I have survival seed banks or whatever, right? And I'm like, do you grow any of your own food now? No. Okay, well, let me tell you what the first year of growing your own food's like. Everything dies and nothing works. So <laughs> you need to start building that skill set today, and I think – Business is the same way. There are yes. businesses that actually thrive during recessions and collapses if they're built on strong fundamentals, but starting one during, not so easy. No. Very difficult. I, I was just watching a documentary from a guy from Dutch Public Television, of all things, and he was in Argentina in 2001. He just went back now, and he was looking at some of the people that were in a very tight position back then, uh, there was this guy, he was making uh, like these fridge magnets with ceramic for tourists yeah. and painting that. And he, he was making a living out of that, you know? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you have to find what it is that you see in your local market as a possibility. Um, it's always better if you start before something like that happens. What I found kind of interesting that you said earlier... Uh, very much in, uh, in in symmetry with what I've been teaching for a long time on the business side of things is that if you're going to start a business and you don't know what else to do, then do something you're passionate about because then you'll find success with it. And I've been saying that forever, and it's interesting to hear you say it from a completely different viewpoint. Yes, because it's uh, w when you start looking at something as a job, first of all, if it's something you like, it's probably something you know a bit about. And you have some experience, you've been involved in it for a while, you know people in that sort of community or have a few contacts. Or if not, it's something that you will be willing to do without, uh, without it affecting you, uh, without stressing you. When I first started writing about all this, it was back in 2001, I was writing posts in different forums until 3, 4 a.m. every single day 
for like five years before I started my own blog. For me, that wasn't a, it wasn't work at all. It's still not work. I, I love doing this. Was I it therapeutic love- for you to be able to almost like, you know, like a guy goes to a psychologist and talks about his problems and uh, is able to work through them? You, did you get like a therapeutic effect? Absolutely, Because uh, you're watching yes. your country you love melt down around you, but at least being able to tell the story, did that help you adapt to it? It, it, and it's still great. It's still I, a couple of days ago. I got an email again from from a, a typical soccer mom who bought a gun, read my book, was was getting all uh, truly self reliant, you know, in terms of uh, that. That does it for me. That's the, that's one of the things that I love the most. Seeing that I somehow reached reached a person I I don't know and change his or her life for the better, and and they're out there doing all this stuff. Well, Fernando, God knows you've been doing just that, and uh, I know my community loves you for it, and a lot of other people around the world love you for it, so uh, a heartfelt on behalf of my community, thank you for all the contributions you've made. Well, thanks, Jack, and, and, and I know you help a lot of people, and I, I understand why people like you so much, because you are a great guy. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Uh, my wife's over here snickering at me, because she knows sometimes I'm not the nicest guy. But... And you, you know you have to PayPal me the money for saying that all, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll send the, the, the wire transfer will be on its way to Switzerland, Geneva. Uh, but anyway, man, thank you for being on the show again. I really appreciate you. You're an awesome source of wisdom as always. And uh, I, I really love hearing you come to a lot of the same conclusions from a, a different standpoint because that tells me that our community is on track and we're doing the right thing. So uh, thank you again and uh, hope you're really enjoying your new life there in uh, Northern Ireland. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, and looking forward to, to meeting you again and some other trip to U.S. and having having a steak dinner or a couple of beers. It's going to be great. And maybe I'll get on over there and uh, and, and uh, have a Guinness with you in a local pub someday. Absolutely. Uh, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Fernando Aguirre, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution. 